Welcome back to the show. Uh, we will be focusing on our series, The Next Million, looking at Metro Vancouver in 2050 with another million residents here uh, at 4.30. Uh, Squamish First Nation Council Chair Hal Salem will be joining us as we talk about First Nations development in Metro Vancouver and the impact it'll have over the next 25, 26 years. In fact, if you look at just the development from uh, the Squamish First Nation, the Tsleil-Waututh and the Musqueam alone, uh, there was a report last year in regards to individual development plus a development that they're doing through MST Development, their their uh, development corporation, potentially twenty five thousand uh, residential homes and units they'll be building in the Metro Vancouver area, just with those three First Nations communities. There's ten First Nations communities in the Metro Vancouver area, so the impact First Nations communities are going to have when it comes to housing and many other industries is going to be significant. So it's important that we speak to First Nations communities. So Hell Salem, the uh, First Nation, Squamish First Nation Council Chair, will be joining us at 4.30. Well, we talked about the fall economic update, a $40 billion uh, deficit uh, projected for March, uh, and many other deficits projected after that uh, uh, as well. And as I've said before, I'll say it again, this particular government was handed a balanced budget, and here we are. But let's uh, set our sights on the uh, provincial economy just for a second. Uh, our next guest has been on the show before. Ken Peacock is the Chief Economist and Senior Vice President at Business Council British Columbia. Uh, and he's been on here before talking about the Clean BC Roadmap. Now, this roadmap uh, focuses on modelling in regards to dealing with the issues of climate change and sort of legislating rules in regards to how we deal with our greenhouse gas emissions. But at the same time, uh, Ken, Ken uh, discovered something as he was going through the province's Clean BC Roadmap. Uh, he joins us now. Ken, thank you for your time today. You're very welcome. I wanted to talk about this because it was brought up in the provincial legislature today during question period. Walk me through, when you're going through the Clean BC Roadmap over the summer, to my understanding, what was the one data point that really stuck out for you? Yeah, so so what's going on here, Jazz, is, is the government uh, undertook a, a very comprehensive and extensive modeling exercise to uh, understand uh, the impact of the policies uh, in the Clean BC plan, which includes $170 a ton carbon tax, hard emission caps in sectors, standards and regulations, and and so on, uh, so that they would have a sense as to whether or not they would be able to uh, realize and meet these targets. But of course, intricately uh, intermixed and tied with that is the impact on the economy. So they also simultaneously did this economic modeling Uh, and this is where the story gets uh, a a little convoluted the business council has worked closely with the provincial government on all aspects of climate policy and energy policy and and we uh over the past three four years routinely asked for modeling results insight into what the policies would do and whatnot but we're, we're sort of informed that no such modeling results were available anyway fast forward to this summer through a bunch of uh uh, circumstances, unforeseen circumstances, and, and some accidents, uh, I stumbled upon some modeling results that indeed the government had done and posted on its website. Uh, and the, the, the punchline or the bottom line of that is when they look at the difference between uh, a scenario that doesn't have the clean BC policy, instead it has $30 a ton carbon tax, kind of the the business as usual world up to 2017, where we did have some climate policies in place, but not as much as in the roadmap plan. Then we compared this scenario to the projection with the roadmap plan policies in place, 
And what the result is, is the B.C. economy growth slows to a crawl and in 2030 is $28.1 billion smaller than it otherwise would be. So this slowing to a growth, uh, big reduction in economic output, uh, this is wages and income, mostly the households, really got our attention, Jazz. That, that's sort of the overall summary. So the economy is shrinking. Now, we have to take into consideration we have people moving here. We've got international students coming here. So the, the people are still coming here. But when it comes to our potential of our economy by 2030, it actually shrinks by $28 billion. Now, is it a particular, is it one sector that gets hit really hard or is it sort of a, a broad case issue here that it's everybody that's impacted? Yeah, this, this uh, again, this is part of the reason we were so surprised when we found this result. So I just got to clarify a little bit. So the economy doesn't shrink $28 billion from today or from 2020 or anything like that. It is $28 billion smaller than it would than it would otherwise be in 2030. So it's so we are going to get some growth. But but to your point, the uh, annual average economic growth in this model or within these projections as a result of clean BC 2030 slows to a crawl in the second half of the decade, just 0.4 percent. Uh, you know, usually 2% is kind of respectable, 35 is growth uh, in GDP is strong. 0.4% is bumping along near, near recession territory. And to your point, uh, when we recognize that we're going to have population growth uh, almost certainly in excess of 2%, this means on a per-person basis, uh, the economy is indeed contracting uh, there's less income, and and we, economists we talk about GDP per capita. That's just shorthand for prosperity and well-being. Mm-hmm. And the result of this population growth, while the economy slows to a crawl, means per capita incomes fall, and, and jazz they fall back to levels that we uh, had in 2013. So it's about a 17-year setback in, in prosperity and well-being in BC. Uh, and this is this is why this has really got our attention uh, at the business council. So it, it, this is in regards to you know your standard of living as an individual and the potential you would have. This sets you back uh, quite a bit. Is there a particular sector? Going back to my original question, is there a particular oh, yeah. sector that gets hit harder? Uh, I'm just curious as to what sector is going to absorb a lot of this. Or sectors? Yes, yes. Apologies, you did ask that, and I got I got a little distracted. Uh, it, it, this this is the other thing. So what the modeling results show is it really hurts the foundational sectors, the export sectors of BC's economy, because those are the more carbon intensive areas. So our mining and our pulp and paper sector and our fossil fuel industry, they get really, really set back, um, you know, to the point of it's which mills are going to close down, which projects don't proceed, which people get laid off. Uh, type of type of impact and then there's spin-off negative implications that go throughout the economy companies and businesses selling services to those foundational sectors and then there's fewer goods and services being bought by households in the model presumably that's being picked up because households and people are not as well off so all these things are captured and the interrelations in the modeling chapter and the result is every single sector that is modeled. The model uh, produces results for 24 different sectors in the economy. Every single one is smaller in 2030 than it would be otherwise compared to the reference scenario, Jazz, with the exception of electricity and electricity 
uh, transmission. And this, of course, makes sense because the Clean BC Roadmap is about electrifying as much as we can. So the impacts are right across the economy. Uh, and, and this is one of, one of the results that is really, really quite surprising. Uh, and a second, a, a second element that, to repeat the phrase, really got our attention at the Business Council. So, you know, I'm, uh, I just had uh, Andrew Weaver on yesterday on the show. We were talking about um, uh, the earth hitting two degrees Celsius above uh, pre-industrial times. And, and it was just for a brief moment on Friday, we hit a, a new record in regards to climate change. Uh, and we all see the wildfires here. We, we've, we talked about the heat dome for many times on this show. So climate change is real. Does this mean that, that we need to, at this, you know, we have to deal with climate change? But in regards to carbon tax, this is a question that we need to pause for for a while until people's incomes and salaries and industries can 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 cope with this. That we're just moving too fast in dealing with some of this. Yeah. So there's a bunch there's a bunch of pieces in that in that question, mm-hmm. Jazz. Um, most certainly, I, I've been looking and we've been looking at at all these results and the plan and the history of BC's greenhouse gas emissions. And it is absolutely the case that this short timeline, just six, seven years from now, uh, with 40% reduction in GHG emissions below 2007 level, uh, it's, those are very aggressive. It's the combination of the near term and, and the aggressiveness of the, of the targets. Just, just so listeners know, right now or in 2021, BC's GHG emissions were about 25 or 3% below the reference year. So we have another 30 and a, seven, 37.5% to make up in the next, next six or seven years. So it really is a stretch. So this is why you get the economy, you're having to dampen down growth in the economy broadly in order to be able to, to meet, meet those targets. That's, that's something that is going on. So I, I, what we are asking is, given these inordinate costs, I mean, this really is a world, Jazz, where there's greatly diminished opportunities. And I, I am particularly concerned about diminished opportunities for younger people, especially given the other backdrop that, that it, we are currently, currently find ourselves in. So uh, that, that's the concern, very broadly diminished. And so given those costs, we do need to ask ourselves, uh, also considering that BC accounts for just 0.19% of global emissions. Uh, and if we m- met those very aggressive targets in 2030, we, s- we still would be 0.19 or maybe 0.187% of global emissions. Uh, and if we don't meet those very tight targets, we're probably still going to be 0.19% of global emissions. So I think I'm, I'm just asking, it's reasonable to say, absolutely, we've got to sh- sh- bolster up uh, our, our infrastructure for extreme weather events. Um, so perhaps, you know, just given these extreme costs, we should focus more on resiliency, recalibrate timelines to, 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 to some degree uh, with these inordinate costs in, in mind. It's kind of, a, but it's very difficult to know. We don't have full information, Jazz. We just stumbled across these modeling results. So we're operating a little bit with one hand tied behind our back in, in terms of trying to understand all the implications. Uh, I, I get your point, though. A small subnational economy of 5 million people isn't going to save the world. We have a role to play, but we're still not China or India or the United States or many other large economies. That, that, that point I totally understand. Ken, as always, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff.